This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Hope you're having a great day. Thanks for tuning in. This is Let's Go There. I'm Shira. And I am Ryan. And I have to admit it, my pants are open. I'm hanging out. I, you can't have to admit out. that. I don't know why well, you admitted that. I'm saying that. because... I, actually, now I'm filing I, an HR report because so, I did not want our <laughs> listeners to have to deal with that. And I've I never had to deal with this. With I've, I've had those moments where I ate a lot and I had to unzip, but it's happening. I feel like I am like, this is what it's like. It feels like to be pregnant because I've shot myself up. So Having a food home. baby is not what it's like to be pregnant. I have 24 <laughs> eggs right now in my. So typically, uh, uh, so are you full a, of eggs? I'm filled with eggs. Are you filled with food and eggs? No, no, I didn't eat that much food. Um, I just had a regular meal. No, I literally. So typically, if you uh, can't have your period, you would have one egg, right? I feel like no this one is a has really interesting thing. I have 24 eggs, and I'm like, so if you're wondering. Um, Are they taking up space? Yeah. Th- imagine one egg when you're bloated. I have 24 of those. I, I can't imagine that because I don't have I don't have a uterus. So I or have no you could place I'll, I'll like I'll stand up and it's amazing. I don't I'm like. Act- I mean, you okay? Do it. Do it. Why not? You've already crossed and crossed my boundaries. What? Wow, that's your tummy right now. Wow. I mean, a little bit. Wow. Isn't it interesting? The human body is a weird thing. I mean, though, uh, yeah, for sure. So anyway, and I actually shared um, a garbage of like all my uh, syringes and all that. Just being like, this is eight days of shooting yourself up with hormones. And it was amazing to see the responses from a lot of people who are like, oh, I was thinking about doing this or I've done this. How is it going? Like people reaching out. One of our Vox reporters is doing it right now. And she reached out. So anyway, it, it's interesting. You follow my journey, freezing my eggs at Sheer Lazar. I mean, you it, even if we didn't ask to follow it, you, know. you are letting us when, in. When you have a show so daily, transparent. you need to do it. I appreciate it. Um, in other news, I'm not having any eggs in my body. Um, <laughs> Except but, for scrambled eggs. You know, I am so excited about some good news oh. that I got today, but I'm not sharing because I don't want to right now. But okay. I got some good news today. And um, yeah, I feel like it's a really good day. And so we're starting the show off right. We have a lot to talk about because Sheer and I are already arguing before the show you know. coming on talking about the mass mandates. Oh, that. And uh, yeah, we are t- completely in two different spaces on that. I don't, think, I don't think we're in two different spaces. Yes, we are. Just a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it was crazy to see you. We're going to have Washington Post joining us in 15 minutes to talk more about the mandates that were lifted on airlines and public transit. That's at, uh, yeah, next 15 minutes. Uh, but it is crazy to see the videos popping up, people freaking out. It did happen very suddenly. That's it was weird. amazing how quickly it went down. Weird. Uh, there was no transition. <laughs> or was it like tomorrow? It was like right now it's happening. Uh, yeah. And uh, the airlines were very quick to announce that. Also, Tucker Carlson and testicles. Sorry to trigger you. We're going to be talking more about his latest documentary series next hour. Plus, at 4.20 p.m. Pacific, 7.20 p.m. Eastern, the FDA approved a new drug to treat Alzheimer's. We have a doctor joining us for that. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Robbie Pierce um, and his husband and their two children were enjoying a train ride on the Pacific Coast. They were heading from L.A. to Oakland when their family vacation turned into a nightmare. This story has been uh, shared everywhere. It was really sad. The gay parents were called rapists and pedophiles in this Amtrak incident. They're blaming conservative politicians and right-wing media for the incident, um, citing, of course, a recent uptick in 
this charged rhetoric surrounding LGBTQ issues. It's really just horrible and horrifying when you read this story. And, um, you know, before speaking to NBC News, who reported about this, they also documented the event in a thread that went viral on Twitter. And the couple placed blame, of course, on everything happening. But you can check out this Twitter account at Robbie Pierce right now. So I don't see that Amtrak has responded or done anything about this, but I'm sure they will be speaking out very soon because this is completely inappropriate and shouldn't be happening in these spaces or any space for that matter. Now, as I mentioned, a federal judge that was appointed by Trump dropped the mask mandate for airlines and public transit. And it's safe to say people were um, freaking out. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. First of all, that was a pilot, and I'm just wondering who was flying the plane. Why well, is he standing up? No, he's people. like standing up. It takes two people to fly a plane. Why is he like standing up in the middle of this flight? All of it was quite unprofessional, and I would have a major issue if I was on that flight and everybody is just taking off their masks. Like that would freak me out. It's now optional, and here's Press Secretary Secretary Jen Psaki responding to Peter Ducey's question about why the administration keeps recommending masks while mandates keep dropping. I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. That I'm aware of. If you're a doctor, I wasn't aware of that today until today. Okay, not a doctor. Just making sure. I don't know. Um, and nor does he play one on TV. There you go. Most days. Um, but these determinations. Remember, the masking guidance is there are is green, yellow, and red. We are currently in a green zone in Washington, D.C., so they're not recommending it. Some people can still wear a mask if they want to. Many people do, or wear them in meetings, or wear them at certain times where you're going to be around or sitting close to people, or maybe you have an immunocompromised parent or, or friend, and so people make that decision. And there's this is based on health considerations and data that the CDC looks at about transmissibility as, as we've seen an increase in cases on, on airplanes. Okay, and that was What's Training This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. Well, the richest man in the world just told us that he's homeless. Yep. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. the billionaire Tesla and SpaceX CEO, made the revelation in a Sunday interview with Ted Head, Chris Anderson, when commenting on wealth disparity in the world today. He said this, there are many other people out there who can't stand this world of billionaires. They are hugely offended by the notion that an individual can have the same wealth as a billion or more of the world's poorest people. He argued that he believes that there are some uh, axiomatic flaws that are leading these type of critics to that conclusion. Explaining of himself, for sure, it would be very problematic if I was consuming billions of dollars in a year in personal consumption. 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 Jeez. Brain fart. Anyway, but he did say this. He said, but that is not the case. In fact, I don't even own a home right now. I'm literally staying at a friend's place. If I travel to the Bay Area, which is where most of Tesla's engineering is, I basically rotate through friends' spared bedrooms. I don't have a yacht. I really don't take vacations. It's not as though my personal consumption is high. The one exception is a plane. But if I don't use the plane, then I have less hours to work. Yo, um, Elon, if Elon wasn't rich... We would be like talking about him just like house, like house hopping and not having a place to say like society would for sure. I, I just don't know what he wants people to say. Like, does he just want people to stop hating him for being rich? I th- yeah, I think he was making trying to make a statement. And about, it's not a statement. Um, if we're being, being quite rich honest. And, and you're not having a home doesn't mean that you can't afford about one. it. Uh, yeah, there is a difference there. You're choosing that. So good on you for choosing. He's so that. annoying. And I think he's trying to make a statement about, um, you know, uh, having a lot of money and then being part of the con- consumption, right? But he's still a problem, and that's your T report. We got more coming yeah, up. Yeah, he needs to recognize next what he can do. Hour. Um, we're talking about Rachel Zegler because she was asked about one of her co-stars sexual assault claims in an interview and she did not like it. We're talking about oh. that coming up next hour. Okay. What's coming up next?
Elon Musk, just like all of us. I'm not talking about <laughs> Elon Musk anymore. <laughs> okay, next up, as we mentioned, uh, the mask mandates for travel are down. So what does that mean for all of us? And what one city is keeping it? Okay, we're going to tell you that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we're finally here. We no longer have to wear masks on planes and public transit. It happened yesterday when a federal judge struck down the mandate for planes and public transit. And now the nation's largest airlines have dropped the requirement. I mean, within hours of the ruling, we saw videos coming up and posts on social media, people freaking out. We had stewardesses. Is that what you call it? The, the flight folks, attendants. Yeah, flight attendants. I hated all of the, the reactions. <laughs> I hated uh, the fact that there are probably immune compromised people on flights and these announcements were happening and they're probably having a panic attack because they're now right. watching everyone and they can't go anywhere, take off their masks. Yeah, there's like a way to do it, definitely uh, to respect others, but I think people are just sick of it and, you know, people are throwing them in garbage bags. It was crazy. Um, well, joining us right now to share more is Natalie Compton, The Way travel reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's by the way, right? It is by the way, our little (laughs) travel destination within The Washington Post. But um, yes, it has been an insane couple of, I mean, I mean, one day since this all unfolded and seeing all the videos of people's reactions has been wild. Oh my God, wild is an understatement. <laughs> like we've been in prison forever or something that like we just got out. Oh goodness. Right. I mean, I, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty shocking to see just how hog wild people have gone. It seems particularly interesting because you think of all of these airlines as having very strict code of conduct for how flight attendants dress or what they wear and how they do their makeup. But in this case, people were just busting loose and totally. doing whatever they wanted on these planes, uh, passengers included. So it's, it's a huge change for travel. So what exactly happened? Because it seemed like th- uh, this was something that some people were pushing to keep going versus others obviously wanted it to go away. The federal mask mandate kept getting extended. As we know, the pandemic is still happening. We're seeing a rise in cases right now. So, the latest on that was that it was supposed to go till May 3rd. It just got extended, but a Florida district judge uh, decided to go for it and said that the CDC's mask mandate pretty much exceeded their authority and that worked. And the White House said, all right, well, we won't, we, we won't enforce this rule either anymore. And that has had a huge ripple effect from airlines, like you mentioned, but now Uber is saying mm-hmm. you don't have to wear a mask inside there. Amtrak, it's, it's, just changed completely but it will really depend on where you're going on how this impacts you because although lots of places have dropped their mask mandates now because it's not required federally there are places that are still with keeping that going like the newark metro or jfk you still have to wear a mask but then you go to newark and you don't or you get on amtrak and you don't so do your homework before you get on well i was really confused because i'm I would assume that this is not the first time a federal judge would try to tackle something like this with all of the mass discourse. Why is it now working in the way that it is at this moment? It was very surprising because you're right. We have been hearing all of this talk for a while of, of the lots of people trying to take this down. Uh, and that is above my pay grade to know exactly why this one went <laughs> uh, the way it did. But what I can tell people is that Right now, we we do know that it's going to be very confusing for people. Things like, as you mentioned, people who are immunocompromised who are going to be going into flights now. Unfortunately, if you were trying to cancel flight, a lot of times things like travel insurance won't cover something like this because they don't cover the fear of something bad happening. They'll cover when something bad happens. So right now, if you are feeling concerned about flying, the best thing that you could do would be to get vaccinated, boosted, and wear your own mask as you go and travel. Mm-hmm. Although it seems like New York's MTA uh, said something differently. They're continuing to uh, have the mandate? Yeah, right now, New York City public transportation is still hanging on. D.C. Metro is not air like different airports are going to have different things. So you might board a flight in Miami and then get to Denver and you have to put your mask back on. So don't travel without a mask. You're still going to need it. It's just a a very weird limbo period. So it could even out and suddenly it'll feel very smooth. But if you're traveling within the next month, I would say this is going to be a really weird 
whiplash experience of taking on your mask, putting off. It's it's, it's going to be all over the place. Yeah, and I actually want to go back to the flight attendants because we were just talking about the mm-hmm. reactions in the moment. I know they probably felt a sense of relief because of the, I mean, let's just put it out there, the trauma that they went through from having to deal mm-hmm. with unruly passengers. But I wonder, is that really going to stop at this point? Do you think that was the only uh, real tie to the reason why we saw behavior in that way? We know that masks were a large fraction of the 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 claims that were being sent to the FAA for unruly passengers. So we know that that was a, a giant issue, but something that will not be solved by the mask mandate lifting is the second big issue of people getting on planes pretty drunk or getting pretty drunk on planes. So that's mm-hmm. been something that flight attendants have been dealing with a lot lately. And we know that airlines have, have done like a little nudge to try to address this by saying, you'll now get on a plane and before you take off, you'll hear an announcement that says, if you brought your own alcohol on board, you're not allowed to drink it. Please don't. So I'm not sure how airlines are going to continue to fight that issue. But I think a lot of flight attendants are feeling that relief that they don't have to walk around babysitting people, having people get very upset about this issue, even though some are definitely still concerned about their health and how this mask mandate going away will impact them. I think it is a huge uh, weight off their shoulders having to deal with all the time. Okay. Well, that was, by the way, travel reporter from the Washington Post, Nellie Compton. Thank you again. Thank you. Safe I'm travels. Still keeping my mask on. <laughs> I know. I'm probably well, I don't know. I don't. I think masks on airplanes were like the best things. It's actually a bit cleaner because of the air circulation, mm, but like well. it's a dirty place for your hands. For anyway, just depends. <laughs> I say a light mask. I'm good with that. Okay. Well, what's coming up next, Ryan? Okay, so we are talking about literally crime Mm. and how it's affecting, especially with everything happening in New York, how it's affecting the midterms. Are Democrats prepared for it? We have a political commentator joining us up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, with midterms right around the corner, the conversation about crime is sure to dominate this year. Now, are Democrats prepared for this? Well, joining us now is political commentator Drexel Hurd. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy Easter. Happy, Again. I mean, right. Yeah. Happy belated Easter. Happy <laughs> <laughs> belated Easter. <laughs> you know, I think, of course, with the last week's images of that ma- the mass shooting that happened in New York subway, um, it, it, I feel like a lot of the, the conversation, of course, about crime is really going to be dominating mm-hmm. a lot of of the conversation when it comes to democratic governance and how that can really impact what we see the turnout be for in the midterms and if Democrats can hold on to their seats, et cetera, et cetera. Should Democrats be worried right now, do you believe? Well, I think the the, the, the short answer is I think everybody is worried about their own safety at all times. You did, like you just mentioned, that, that, uh, that shooter in New York City. Uh, with the governor uh, coming out and certainly the mayor, uh, Mayor Eric Adams, coming out to talk about uh, what that looks like. Um, additionally, here in California, we had a mass shooting in Sacramento. Uh, here in Los Angeles, crime is uh, spiking, but we're also coming out of a pandemic. So the numbers that we saw two years ago certainly are going to be worse than they were. Uh, some of the numbers that we see now are going to be worse than they were two years ago because folks are coming out of the woodworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, Democrats are the ones out there protecting the people more than the Republicans. Republicans are out there saying, you need to load up and you need to hunt down people. You need to hunt down LGBT people. We saw that coming out of some of those far-right uh, conspiracy theory, uh, theorists last week. Uh, about hunting LGBT people in in key states around the country. Uh, So, you know, the Democrats are the ones out there talking about the president last week on ghost guns and the Rose Garden and then curbing those. We saw that in New York as well. We see what it's like here in California and in Democratic states across the country. Uh, So Democrats are really the only ones out there actively working to keep people safe. Yeah. And yet, why is that narrative easily misconstrued? Well, that's because Republicans are guided by fear. Yeah, they are fear mongers uh, who are who, who who go out there and say, "Hey, you know what? Your family isn't safe because of the books that your children are reading in third grade. Uh, your family is not safe walking down the street uh, because you know they see somebody differently than they are. They are the party of division, uh, and Democrats are out there saying, "No, <clears throat> you know, not everybody." You know, Americans just are not like that. Mm-hmm. But we can protect each other. We can protect our communities if we kind of work together on common sense 
uh, proposals that can help keep our cities and our communities safe. Uh, and, yeah. and unless Republicans, unless I ask everybody listening, I'm like, have you ever heard of a common sense proposal from Republicans in the last decade as it pertains to safety? No. And I, I invite somebody to say to, to tweet at me and ask me and tell me what common sense proposals out there because we have not heard it. Democrats are the only ones laying out plans, uh, you know, to keep uh, Americans safe. Yeah, so talk to us about how important these local and statewide races are when it comes to defining the conversation around crime and and policing right now. Well, I know the three of us live here in Los Angeles County. uh, And so the, you know, district attorney races are always very important. Uh, Here in Los Angeles, we also have a mayor's race that is happening. And this whole mayor's race is is defined around public safety. They're defining their messages around public safety. But a lot of it is fear-mongering about, you know, those who are unhoused and how unsafe that they are. Well, they didn't didn't start that way. Yeah. So we got to talk, have those conversations about why they're there, why we haven't been able to get them housing, and why the streets aren't as safe as you would like them to be. And instead of trying to push them from city to city, push folks from city to city, and then making other communities feel unsafe, maybe we should try housing folks first. And then we can talk about what's happening in schools. Schools should not be a place where people and children should feel unsafe and how we continue to have those conversations. You know, so school board elections are important. City council elections are important. And, and, and district attorney races and, of course, our mayor's races are important. But we can't do that. You know, we live in a bubble. Other states don't have that, you know, kind of approach. Like I said, we're seeing that in other Republican-led cities and other Republican-led states uh, where it is nothing but fear. Mm-hmm. And we cannot operate and, 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 and move forward if we're going to constant state of fear. Okay. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us for this. We know this is uh, not the solution, obviously, but it's a starting point to a greater conversation. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. That was political commentator Drexel Hurd. Now coming up next, Dolly Parton, our favorite, reveals the worst career advice she ever got and why she ignored it after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Our back. More music coming up right here on Channel Q. But right now, let's get into some more show. Tucker Carlson's latest jolt of toxic masculinity. Why you keep seeing this tanning stuff for your... Uh, down below on social media. <laughs> That's in 15 minutes. You can say testicles. I know. I just keep saying it. So it's like, take a shot every time I say testicles. Uh, plus, an, act- an actress reacts to her co-star being accused of sexual assault. That's in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Shawnee State University in Ohio has reached a settlement with a professor who had punished for refusing to use a trans student's preferred pronouns. So the university will have to pay now the loss of your professor, Nick Merriweather, $400,000 in damages and attorney fees and will rescind a written warning it issued to Merriweather in June 2018 in response to uh, this student's complaint that the professor refused to use female pronouns for the students. Um, So can you believe this, that this person has won? He did not want to use the student's preferred pronouns, she, her. And now he's won $400,000. Yeah, all because of our unfortunate connection and there never being a blind, like a, a line between church and state. And so the fact that this man could literally just say, oh, I should be able to use the pronouns because that's what agrees with my religion is absolutely bonkers to me. I don't know why we have such discourse around pronouns. Like, we don't use pronouns for everything. And we were and taught these things in grade school. As a teacher, I would assume that he would understand what pronouns mean and the fact that he was literally fighting this and now rewarded because guess what? He was, he's just been rewarded for his bad behavior. So he could sue and then they could sue for discriminatory behavior. Why don't we all just keep suing each other? And also, would you want to like even work at that school anymore you know like you've won this case everyone at the school is hearing about how ignorant you are and you just took all this yeah, money would you even want to work there continued anymore ignorance or ego right oh, so gross yeah. now let's move on to a michigan state senator mallory mcmorrow who's speaking up about an email sent out by republican senator lana Thies accusing mcmorrow of grooming and sexualizing children for her support of the lgbtq community I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. 
People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment or the, that healthcare costs are too high or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. Woo! Okay, yep. That was a five-minute speech. It's gotten a lot of attention. More than one million views on social media only hours after she posted it. The Michigan Democratic Party, National Democrats, and others criticized Thies uh, for her allegations. And this other Republican did not respond to the speech on the Senate floor. And Rep did not immediately reply to request for comment, it seems, from any of the outlets that I was checking out. So, yeah, a lot of very powerful speeches being made right now in support of the community. It's just, it's wild what's happening. But that's what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan. Yeah, let's talk about Rachel Zegler because you may not be familiar with her name, but if you watched West Side Story, you are most definitely familiar with her. She starred in that movie, the new movie, um, with it was like her debut role, but uh, it was with uh, oh my god, who's the guy, the director that d- that did the reimagining? Steven Spielberg. That's the name. Um, well, she's explaining how she was uh, she's waste- basically was asked about her co-star Angel Elgord's sexual assault allegations uh-huh. and how it was quote a real gut punch for her while promoting this special moment for herself in West Side Story. So she's twenty. Al Gore is about 28. Basically, they play the romantic leads in the reimagining of the movie musical, which finally hit theaters back in December after filming wrapped in fall 2019. And so speaking with Elle magazine for the magazine's May 2022 issue, uh, Zegler recalled having to answer questions posed to her about accusations made against El Gore. In June 2020, um, El Gore was accused of sexually assaulting a 17-year-old girl in 2014 when he was 20. The woman uh, basically um, put all over social media. She also alleged that he tried to solicit nude photos from her at the time and was asking for a threesome. Well, um, uh, Zegler, who has nothing to do with this, was asked during an interview about this. And she said, there is inherent discomfort that comes with that realization that there are tons of people who think that you have to answer for the actions of an adult male who can speak for himself. It is so wildly disappointing at every turn, no matter how you slice it. Um, no matter how, how many times I've tried to justify people's concerns when it comes to me and my brain, but then realizing that it comes from a place of me having to answer for that and not them actually caring about whether or not I, I was okay was really Ooh. hurtful. I really appreciate that perspective because uh, when you know, you're know you around someone that does something problematic, yeah. specifically a guy, um, it's really difficult as a woman. Of course, if you are complicit and involved, that's a totally different story. Right. Uh, but to be like, oh, it's on you, that kind of continues the patriarchy and like... It does. Most in definitely. In many ways. Like, you can't continue your life even though, surprise, surprise, you've been around men uh, that have done crappy things. And she talks about how she was seven, like, so in the midst of the pandemic, she said, she talks about how when this news dropped, she was just doom scrolling, watching all of this. She was 17 turning 18. Oh, yeah, that's when uncomfortable they were filming too. That's like... Their that's scenes together. Tra- like this was a, that's a lot and so yeah. I, I really appreciate her being open and honest about this uh, that's your tea report we got more coming up next hour and it's all about okay I haven't decided which one I'm gonna do yet it's either the Kardashians and this whole Black China uh, lawsuit that's going on oh god or we can talk about Lizzo's dating uh, oh. of this mystery man oh they're both really good. I know. We'll find yeah. out coming up next hour. <laughs> next up, well, you might be seeing testicle tanning in your feed lately, and it has to do with Tucker Carlson. G- get ready. <laughs> right next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. I know we said we never mentioned Tucker Carlson again on the show, so I apologize. <laughs> he is back with some new theories about life in the second season of Tucker Carlson Originals, his short-form documentary series that airs on Fox News' streaming platform. In one of the episodes, he's investigating why testosterone is decreasing amongst men. And here he is during an hour-long special about it with one of the subjects of the series. You saw in the clip there, um, if you want to optimize and take it uh, to another level, expose yourself to red light therapy. Yes. Um, And the juve um, that we were using in the documentary, there's a massive amount of that. Which is testicle tanning. It's testicle tanning, but it's also full body uh, red light therapy, Uh which has massive amount of benefits. And there's so much data out there um, that isn't being picked up on or covered. So obviously half the viewers right now are like, what? That's testicle tanning? That's crazy. 
But my view is, okay, testosterone levels crash and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. So why is it crazy to seek solutions? It's not crazy to seek solutions. And I okay, testicle tanning. I said that wrong. Testicle tanning. <laughs> I don't. I, mean, I still am not what? understanding what this is and why we're doing this. Like <laughs> what? I, I can't wait for you to to point me to the direction that you want to go. So uh, Philip Bump wrote a great op-ed about this in the Washington Post. Uh, he joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Of course. Okay, so I'm sure you. Uh, like all of us, uh, we're just like, wow, okay. Um, there's episodes here called The End of Men and Examining an Apparent Drop in, in Testosterone Levels. So what is going on exactly? So this is Tucker Carlson, uh, in addition to his nightly show on Fox News. He's also been given reign by Fox generally to do this series of what he likes to call documentaries. Uh, they're basically half-hour-long um, uh, extensions of his show. And so he's covered a number of different things, uh, generally reflecting his, his same lens. And so he's been talking for some time about this uh, research, which is not universally accepted, suggesting that there's been a drop in testosterone levels uh, among men. And he's been using that for quite some time, for years, to argue that this is because men are getting weak and that's why liberals are mm. ascendant and you know all these sorts of various nonsense that you would expect from Tucker Carlson. Uh, and so this special then includes this discussion of, um, of tanning testicles, which is, there's no really nice way to say it. Um, but I think that I think that what's really important about the clip we just played is the he claims that there's this issue with testosterone being reduced. And then he says, well, you know, it's crazy not to talk about solutions. And then he starts talking about this testicle tanning stuff. And this is this is exactly the point that he's not really talking about. He's not trying to provide the viewers with information. Mm -hmm. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to reinforce with them that the proper response to questions is do whatever you really want to do and yeah. that, that there is no expertise and nothing you should listen to. And that really is the way that he tries to bolster his audience's skepticism about all the things that he hates. Yeah, I think what's frustrating is when we were in, obviously, the Trump era, the fake news really started and there was this constant attack on journalists and just media altogether. And it's really interesting how we see Fox News and, and people like Tucker Carlson kind of reinforcing that even throughout through the work that they're doing. Is it really is it frustrating as someone who it does? do this i mean you're philip bump right like you've been on the show you're a journalist when you're not when you see another journalist kind of like walking in this world and 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 having this platform of not really talking about the news because it then comes back on newsmakers like yourself where people don't believe it and they yell off fake news there's this like interesting conversation there well, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting question, and it is certainly the case that I do find it frustrating when people who work for respectable outlets and who have respectable pedigrees embrace ideas that don't have strong foundation in fact. Uh, you know, and this, this happens on occasion. It doesn't happen that often, uh, but it does happen on occasion. Tucker Carlson, however, doesn't fall into that camp, right? I mean, he has an opinion show on Fox News. Uh, he is, you know, he has all the trappings of having a news show, but obviously... Um, you know, what he's presenting is not even, even Fox News doesn't technically consider it news, <laughs> right? It's, you know, it's he's an opinion host and, you know, he, he, he does what he wants to do. Um, and so these are not news programs. These are, these are you know, this is Dr. Oz far more than it is 60 Minutes. Uh, and I think we see that in this, this most recent episode. Yeah, I love how you say it's like goop for the MAGA set. I feel like that said it perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't necessarily just meant to be a disparagement of Goop, but I mean, it is a reinforcement that what Goop sells is the idea that people can take control. You don't need to listen to doctors that, you know, there are solutions out there if we just look hard enough. It reinforces this idea that all yeah. of us have had inculcated in us that, you know, you can just do your own research and find all the solutions. My thing is, it's not even just that. It's also these type of conversations when it's particularly is talking about someone's genitals are just like, you know, <laughs> being a man and all these things. It, we're, it now reflects the rhetoric and the legislation that we're seeing when it comes to anti-LGBTQ folks and what the Republican Party is doing there. How does this continue to connect the dots on how the Republican Party really does go harder on their anti-LGBTQ legislation. No, it's a totally fair point. I mean, in in the article that I wrote, I intentionally didn't address that because I, you know, I'm a, I'm a 
a cis white guy is not the best guy to actually talk about, you know, what what the effects are that, of that necessarily are. But it's absolutely the case that there is this undercurrent of homophobia to all this as well, you know, that you need to be a big, tough, strong guy who's not a liberal and that those are the people who reshape the world for the better. Like, you know, this isn't subtle stuff, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the message that's being put out there and it's a message we, we see increasingly, particularly in right-wing politics, about, you know, this, this need for masculinity, which, you know, it's just, it's, it's so, there, there's so much insecurity <laughs> in that. You know, Tucker Carlson is a dude who used to go on TV all the time wearing bow ties. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is not, he's not the epitome of masculinity in America, uh, but he recognizes the political utility of, of fronting that way, uh, particularly in this moment. Okay, well, that was Philip Bump. Uh, Check out his op-ed on this whole thing in the Washington Post. And also, he's the author of the How to Read This Chart newsletter. Thanks so much. You bet. Next up, it seems like mask mandates have dropped for travel, but one city is hanging on. We'll tell you who next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Clearing out your space can be hard. What do you let go of? What do you hold on to? How much... Are your things bringing you happiness versus more stress? These are questions I also ask myself. So I'm so excited to have our latest uh, guest on for this today. Peter Walsh, who's a professional organizer, author, speaker, TV host, wrote this book, Let It Go, Downsizing Your Way to a Richer, Happier Life. Thanks so much for being here. Wow, that was such a dramatic introduction. I'm all excited. (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wow. love it. Drama, drama, drama. Listen, I just escaped from Southern California for a few months, and now I feel like I'm right back into it. Welcome to well, the show. Hello. That's how Welcome. it works. Well, it's so funny because I d- actually didn't know you were going to be on, like, earlier when I posted my Instagram post, which was all about this, about, you know, when you simplify and people look at it as downgrading your life, but I look at it as really upgrading. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, it, it's it's interesting, guys. I am... Um, I wrote the book after my mum passed away a few years ago, and at the time we were just looking at kind of down, you know, uh, kind of downsizing her home and and really looking at letting go of a lot of stuff that the family had owned. And uh, I've been doing this for over 20 years now, helping people to kind of downsize and and letting go of stuff, decluttering and organising their lives. And and the book and my work is all about kind of really right sizing your life and making sure that the things you own help you create the life you want. And I think that's really what it's all about. You know, do the things you own really give you the kind of life you want? Because for many of us, we just surround ourselves with stuff and then at some stage look around and think, holy hell, how did I end up surrounded by all of this crap? First of all, Stop talking about me because I love stuff. Um, no, here's, I think what's really interesting is, and I've always, is, for me, my thing is clothes. So I will keep clothes till the end of time because one, they have memories attached to them. And I think often uh, times it can be very difficult given, getting away these things, regardless of if it's clothes or anything else, because there's memories attached to it. So there's two types of clutter. I, I know that, you know, you like to talk about. Can you break that down? Yeah. I don't have a problem with holding on to clothes if they have great memories for you. But I honestly think, and over time, I've come to believe that you should only have three kinds of clothes in your closet. Wait, what? You should have clo- yeah, clothes that you love, uh-huh. clothes that you look great in, okay. and clothes that when you step out into the world, people look at you and say, wow, you look great in those. What if that's just like every day for me? All his clothes. That's like well, literally that's all my clothes. <laughs> but that's great. But if, if they meet those, those criteria and if your clothes fit in your closet, because if you aren't treating your clothes with respect, if they're all over the floor, if they're covered in dust, if you're not treating them with respect, then I would say you need to pare down your clothes until they fit reasonably in your space. Otherwise, you and your clothes don't have a good relationship. Wow. But so I guess what's the approach to throwing things out and how do you get through that, like the attachment and maybe, um, you know, looking differently at those things, maybe they don't serve you anymore. My attitude to the things you own is the same attitude to a relationship. And if you're in a relationship and the person you're in the relationship you're in doesn't honor and respect you, 
You can never be happy in that relationship. We've all been in that situation. And it's the same with your home. It's the same with your space. It's the same with your stuff. That if you overcrowd your space, if you have stuff that's just treated disrespectfully, if your stuff is not stored properly, is not displayed properly, then you can never be happy in a space with your stuff. Is your home clean? Like, is your home, like, super, like, organized? Are you Marie Kondo? Are you, like, super intense? No. I would rather cut my throat than have my home (laughs) super organized and super crazy. No. I'm not not that guy. But I'm also not the guy. I'm not the guy who goes out buying stuff thinking that if I just buy the next thing, I'll be happy, which is what the world tells us. If you just buy the next thing, you'll be really happy. I'm not the guy who buys that, who, who, who buys into that crazy idea. Wow. You know, yeah. does the stuff you own help you create the life you want? So it's not about the stuff you buy. I don't start there. I start with what kind of life do I want? Number one, I want to have, like you, Shira, I want to have great weekend brunches. I love Bloody Marys. Mm. So, oh so that's where I start. You know, that's, that's what I want. I want. I want happiness and warmth and friendships. So that's where I start with the kind of life I want. Yes. So, so, so that's, that's the highest criteria for the life I want. So the, the things I want around me are not a whole lot of stuff, but a whole lot of great friends. I, so, I, so I, how much does your stuff control you, right? Or versus you controlling it. it? Or like, yeah, I spend it on experiences versus things. Totally on the same page. Mm. Well, Peter Walsh, so, we, we, we need to wrap up because we're out of time. So but good. we would love to have you back on as we continue to talk about the cleaning of our space for the spring cleaning. You are great. And again, Peter Walsh is the author of Let It Go, Downsizing Your Way to a Richer, Happier Life. Thanks again for joining us and for your research. Next up, why this Target worker is calling you out and why you shouldn't put any of your stuff that you don't want to buy in the aisles. You know if you've done that before, next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Target worker is putting customers who leave stuff in aisles on blast. Here this person is. uh, Her name is Caitlin Sunday, sharing her latest experience on TikTok. Guys, I literally can't make this up. People think, oh, I stage these, but I don't. Like, I literally am walking down the aisle, and I see two frozen pizzas sitting on the ground. How awesome. And they're frozen, and I bet they're, like, not even cold. Yeah. Fun. Well, Juan, have you done this before? Hell yeah, I've done this. Wait, have you left? So, I've done it I'll leave anything anywhere. I don't care. (laughs) You will? Yeah. No, seriously. I, I get what she's saying. The pain, especially so, if I'm on the other side of the the, the store, and I know I don't want it. That's why go back, go backs are a thing. And someone who's also worked in retail, yeah. How do you do it? Go what? backs is a real thing. What is a go back? So if you see something out of place, it, you just take it to the back, and then it has there's like either a rack if it's clothes or a place. Sometimes I feel like with food, it's not going to happen because I've never worked anywhere with a like a grocery a grocery store. I've only worked in retail, but go backs are like at the fitting room where when people try on things they don't want it, they leave the remainder things in their fitting room. You have a rack that says go backs, and then that you take it back. It is literal. So I've also been that person, like, I'm like, I don't need these nuts, but I'm in the fruit aisle, right? Okay, I'll just put it somewhere. But more and more these days, I've started to uh, feel awkward about it, like bad, including if it's stuff that can go bad, right? You're basically wasting food. So I would say if you're in the checkout, like... Let the person know and just say, hey, I don't need this because then there's probably a process, right? They'll like just put it back where it needs to be. Yeah, but you can't, when you're shopping, especially at a Target, it can be very difficult to find some random person that actually works there. Yeah, or in the checkout, though. Yeah, the checkout, yeah, that's a good place to do it, especially if you're doing a self checkout or if you're going through the checkout line. But for the most part, things happen. And I just don't think it's that serious, if I'm being quite honest. (laughs) I feel like she's a little annoying. (laughs) She's calling a lot of people out. On her TikTok account, someone said um, that, why do you care about Target so much, though? (laughs) And she goes, I work there. It's my niche as well. And you'd know that if you looked at my profile, even for a couple seconds. I I love how these folks. Target is a great place. But I I do love how her niche is now Target. 
Well, kind of like being a Disney person, Disney like a a Disney a world or Disneyland person. You also can probably be a Target person. I I mean, hey, own it. Hidden finds, just like when people make content about, oh, have you tried these chips at Trader Joe's? They're the Trader Joe's person. Yeah, it just go, that's their career now. I don't know. I just wish people would stop complaining about stupid stuff. So. I'm happy she's calling people out. Just watch out because you could end up on her TikTok and just do the right thing. Okay? Oh, girl. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, welcome back to the show. Hope you're enjoying this great music here on Channel Q. More to come, so stick around. Let's get into some more show, though, right now. Has Lizzo got a new mystery Yeah, that's man? the one I'm doing. That's oh, the one I got I'm doing. It. I got ding, it. ding, I ding, ding, ding. I want to hear about her new man. Plus, the FDA approved a new drug to treat Alzheimer's. More on that uh, with a doctor who is, uh, you know, part of this. I'm really excited to hear more about this. It's something a lot of us are waiting for. That's in 15 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Oh, Senator Ted Cruz. He's doing, it seems like, this uh, tour at schools. Which, who would have thought people would actually want to talk to him? Yeah. It's just a bunch of nerds possibly problematic, racist, Republican nerds. Yeah. And he's slamming Disney for opposing Florida's don't say gay law. Here he is. I I think there are people who are misguided trying to drive, you know, Disney stepping in saying, you know, in every episode now they're going to have, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, Mickey and Pluto going at it. Like, (laughs) really? Thank you for that image, Senator. You know, that, that but it's nice. just like, come on, guys. Like, like these are kids, and, and you know, y- you can always shift to Cinemax if you want that. Like, like why do you have... It used to be... Look, I'm a dad. Like, you used to be able to put your kids on the Disney Channel and be like, all right, something innocuous will happen. You can still do that. So that means he just likes to put electronics in in front of his children and not spend time with them and just leave Disney Channel playing. And so now all of a sudden he wants to be a good parent and be worried about them. It's just once again this idea just because a company supports LGBTQ rights, they're indoctrinating your kids. And honestly, we see more hetero stuff being indoctrinated into us, and, and no one's saying anything about that. No I one's mean, questioning, you know, uh, if little Timmy or little Susie has a little boyfriend or a crush on a girl or a boy, you know, like no one's talking about that. No one's saying that that's grooming. So why are we putting that on on queer kids and and and, and these organizations? It's, it's just ridiculous. No one's talking about the trauma that I experienced thinking that I could be a Disney princess. Right. That's meaning thinking that you're going to, you know, that you get swept up by a prince. Like, oh, that's real. Uh, That's more traumatizing than anything. All right. I I think you (laughs) still believe that. That was my. uh, (laughs) I think you still believe that. (laughs) Okay, I was indoctrinated. (laughs) And a lot of times my dreams are just, you know, it's not reality. Okay. Meanwhile, as this is all happening, you know, online harassment of LGBTQ people have has spiked in recent months amid this wave of legislation at the state level to limit classroom instruction of LGBTQ issues and statements like cruises. And that's according to a new study from experts, social media data and young LGBTQ people. So that's really the thing we need to be focusing on, not all this other crap. Now, global streaming giant Netflix today reported losing subscribers for the first time in more than a decade and predicted more of that loss in the second quarter. This hasn't happened for a long time. They lost 200,000 subscribers and um, they made a decision in early March to suspend service in Russia after it invaded Ukraine. That could be why Netflix, which currently has 221.6 million subscribers, last reported a loss in customers in October 2011. So something's obviously got to change. I'm sure they're trying to figure that out because that's a big dip for them. Finally, a popular Taco Bell dish will soon be back on the menu. Yeah, Mexican pizza. Doja Cat announced it at Coachella. Oh, I was about to talk more about it. So have you tried it, Mexican pizza? I mean, back in 20, (laughs) you know, 2005. um, They removed it in late 2020. And since then, fans have been pushing to get it back. So they even no one's really been pushing wait, it. It's the, only been Doja Cat pushing it. Let's be quite honest. Supposedly, the restaurant chain is citing a Change.org petition with more than two hundred thousand signatures. And it's probably Doja Cat fans. Uh, this is her big thing. I her mean, no, campaign. it really is. She like 
protested over it. She I hope really she's get, becoming a spokesperson getting paid for yes, this. Yes, that was their big thing. Okay, thanks. I at didn't realize Coachella, that. At the end of her performance, she said, I brought back the Mexican pizza, by the way. And that was the launch of, like, obviously an announcement that she was doing uh-huh. in partnership with Taco Bell because Taco Bell had it all ready to go. Of course they did. They always do it. Well, thank you for that. Mix of entertainment news in my headline. Okay, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, right? Oh, my God. All the rumors are true. Lizzo has a man, honey. Oh. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Apparently, Lizzo uh, confirmed that she's still dating the mass mystery man that she was uh, photographed with on Valentine's Day this year. Mm. She was, uh, you know, chit-chatting with Andy on his radio show and and he basically was like, you were photographer, uh, photographed in L.A. in February with the mystery man. Are you guys still together? She said, of course, she laughed before responding. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And he pressed harder, of course, saying, you're Lizzo, huge superstar. And this person, whoever that person is, is that hard in the relationship? You know, Lizzo kind of continued to play coy on the man's identity and what he does for a living, but she did give Cohen somewhat of an answer to his question. She says, you have to, you have the right person, then, if you have the right person, then no, not at all. It's not even a factor. It should be mutually supportive no matter what that person does. And then, of course, you know, he's really trying to get the scoop in the photos um, the I'm, man has I'm a ski mask him. on. Oh. And, you know, he's just pushing to try to get it, see if he was, you know, supportive of her hosting it on Saturday Night Live. And she was like, damn, you're really good. You know, you're trying to get the scoop, huh? And he says he's just happy for her. And uh, he just feels like a lot of people are rooting for her. And, it, and it's very true. I'm rooting for her. Oh. I can't, I'm, I'm happy that she got a man. I'm a little jealous, though, because I want a man. I'm looking at these it's pictures. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Congratulations, Lizzo. Congratulations. That's your team report. We got more coming up next hour. Okay. Well, after this, uh, the FDA just approved a new drug to treat Alzheimer's. Uh, so we're going to be getting more into this. And one doctor will explain what researchers know about it and why the me- Medicare actually won't necessarily pay for it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So the FDA approved a new drug to treat Alzheimer's, which is great, right? But Medicare won't always pay for it. So that's definitely an issue. So how will it actually get in the hands of those who need it most? Well, Dr. Andrew Williams joins us right now, an emergency medicine doctor at Einstein Hospital in Bronx, New York. Thanks for being with us. Good evening, guys. Nice speaking with you. Yeah. So tell us more about this. It's called Biogen Adjuhelm. Yeah, as you helm. Uh, that's Biogen's drug. Biogen's the company. Okay, thank so, you. Yeah, no problem. So We're Adahelm clearly not doctors. A, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a drug. It's a it's a, it's a medication uh, for the treatment of Alzheimer's dementia. And what's so exciting about that is that there hasn't been a new drug for the treatment of Alzheimer's in 20 years. And in fact, this is the first drug ever. Uh, that treats like the underlying, you know, problem of uh, Alzheimer's dementia, which is the uh, the buildup of amyloid plaques in the brain. Mm. And so the medication is an infusion; it's not a pill. Um, and uh, basically, what it is is it's it's monoclonal; it's antibodies. You know, your your body produces antibodies, uh, but these are antibodies that are made in the lab, and the antibodies uh, attach to and remove the um, the amyloid in the brain. Um, and so, you know, that's the mechanism of its of its treatment. But yeah. um, as I'm sure you've heard, there's there's some controversy around it. Yeah, because it seems like I guess the big question is if it works. But I, I, I don't know if that's the next question here. But for me, I was shocked that Medicare was not even thinking about adding this among the list of things that they would pay for, because it feels like that's exactly what they are there for. Um, and mm-hmm. honestly, they have a history of almost always paying for drugs the FDA approves for at least authorized uses. And so why do you think Medicare has kind of ruled in this way? Right. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, it's um, it's a kind of a it's a dramatic clash and, you know, it's not something that happens frequently. And the reason was the circumstances that that surrounded uh, the approval of the drug in the first place. Uh, so the FDA approved the drug in June, and it did so through its accelerated approval pathway. And so that's not the usual uh, pathway that uh, that drugs are usually approved. 
in the accelerated approval pathway, the drug is not required to demonstrate an actual clinical improvement, meaning in this particular case, it would mean that a clinical improvement would mean your dementia is not progressing as badly as it would have been, you know. Instead, with the accelerated approval pathway, it looks at some other endpoint that we hope uh, is going to uh, make an impact. And in that case, uh, the endpoint was uh, amyloid buildup in the brain. So the FDA approved the drug on this accelerated approval pathway that, um, uh, that because Aduhelm was shown to reduce the plaque in the brain. It is much more controversial as to whether or not it delivers a a benefit, a clinical benefit to the patients, because one study showed a benefit uh, and one study did not. They did two studies. But in in your article that you wrote, you see at this point, with so little treatment out there, it's like anything could help, right? Is that it? Right. Um, That's true. I mean, but, you know, the FDA and Medicare, you know, they you know, they take seriously their responsibility of, of you know, treating with uh, efficacious drugs that actually, you know, work and deliver a clinical benefit. And it's, you know, it's no small price tag. As you might have seen from the article, the drug is cost $28,000 uh, per year. And actually, that's down from the initial price that Biogen have listed at as $56,000 wow. per year. What about a site like Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs? Would that help the price? Someone wanted to get it? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Right now, the main way to get this medication is to enroll in a clinical trial. So oh, okay. if uh, so, Medicare will cover the drug when it's if you enroll in a, um, an NIH-approved clinical trial. And, you know, the downside of this is that many people aren't going to have access to um, clinical trials. And, you know, even if they do enter a clinical trial, they may get placebo, you know. Yeah. So, it, mm-hmm. No, I think for me, that was my next question was, how do you even find out about the clinical trials? Is that like, is there like a message board or is your doctor telling you? Yeah, I would speak to, um, you know, for patients that are and families that are interested in this, I would speak to their neurologist Mm -hmm. and they might be able to uh, refer them to, you know, a major uh, tertiary center that's that's performing these trials. So where do you uh, see this headed? Obviously, it's something that you're paying attention to. You wrote about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no one can predict the future. You know, um, right now, Biogen, the one thing that is absolutely clear, the medication does clear amyloid plaques from the brain. What isn't clear is, are patients actually benefiting from it? Is the dementia uh, progression being slowed down? And again, one trial did show that benefit. And the other trial did not. It's kind of 50-50. Um, they're going to conduct a bigger trial, and, um, and they're going to see. My suspicion is that I think that ultimately it will show a benefit. Now, it's not, you know, um, I don't think that it's going to be a, it's not going to be a miracle cure, you know, but um, I, I suspect that ultimately, you know, um, it will demonstrate a benefit. And I'm not the only one who believes that because <laughs> there's other major pharmaceutical companies that have similar drugs coming out, you know, down the pipeline that operate in a similar way. So a lot of major companies are placing major bets that uh, that this is going to work. You know, hopefully we'll solve this definitely in our lifetime. Crossing fingers because six million Americans um, suffer from Alzheimer's. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Williams, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was nice speaking with you. Dr. Williams is an emergency medicine doctor at Einstein Hospital in Bronx, New York. Now, coming up after this, how do you process, face, and move forward from regret? Well, some answers from a new book next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Regret is something that we all go through. And um, author Daniel H. Pink actually looks at this in his new book. He's the uh, journalist, author of several nonfiction books. And in The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward, he actually talks about the importance of this and what we could learn about it. What was interesting is actually in writing this, he did research on regret around the world. And this was this was fascinating to me. What he found is that, uh, and the key takeaway was that regrets of inaction outnumber regrets of action, two to one. And it goes up as people age. Isn't that wild to you? So you looking back at your life and saying, I didn't do something creates more regret than the idea of I did that and I took the chance. I mean, 
if I'm being honest, it feels like that's kind of like a duh moment for me, right? You know what I mean? Like, it feels like, okay, this that makes sense for me. Like, if you do the thing, you're not going to have any regret around it. So it's kind of like, yeah, right? Yeah. Um... But I, I'm not, I've never really been a person that regretted anything. Um, I may have wished I would have handled a situation differently, but I think everything that I feel like I've, I've done, I've just never really regretted because I feel like regretment and resentments kind of go hand in hand for me. If, mm-hmm. I, if I think about it, like if I regret something, that means I possibly have resentment towards like either that person that's a part of that regret situation or through the thing. And I just don't want to have to dwell in those feelings, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that that always that definitely, it sucks. Regret can really hold you back. Part of it, you know, it has, a, a, there's some grief in it. There's some judgment in it. There's a lack of forgiveness in it. It's mm. like you're you're stuck in this moment in time, unable to move forward, right? Yeah. And just kind of be present to what is right now understanding that something has happened but you're not there anymore it's it's not there right well, and i feel like i've done my best because i am someone that i work really hard to make sure that i the results that i want i make sure that i get right and i feel like with that type of con- kind of control of like of my life plan of some sorts of like when i set a goal i want it then that allows for there not to be as many, like, I guess, if, if any, regrets that exist in that space. Because if I'm accomplishing what I'm setting out, then I'm not regretting any of the goals that I'm setting forth. And I'm also, like, and so I, I guess I don't know how to really think of this. Like, are we thinking of regret in person or are we thinking of regret I think it's all work? around. Yeah, I think that... Where does that really... Where does regrets fall, like, mostly? I feel like that would be my question to Daniel mm, Where do yeah. you see regrets come up a lot? Is it professional lives, personal lives? Where does that really happen for him? Yeah, he actually looked at it as they ha- there's different um, types of regrets, right? Mm, Found- interesting. Foundation regrets... Um, not laying the foundation for your life, right? Um, like savings, retirement, things that are foundational, right? Moral regrets, which is doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether and he adds bullying as an example, or unkindness, infidelity, connection regrets. This, these ideas of like when someone mm. passes, if only I'd reached out, if only I'd spent more time, if only oh, I mean something like that. I will. Okay, ding ding ding. Um, I'm happy yeah. you said that. That. When my dad passed, I felt like that was something that came up in my mind of the, in the sense of I was so young and I he had never been in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think there was opportunities where I could have allowed him to be in my life or could have tried a little bit harder. And I feel like when I found out the news that he died, which that anniversary is actually coming up because it's wow. on your birthday, remember? He, he died on my birthday? <laughs> he did, yeah. I remember that it happened around my birthday, on my birthday, oh my God, between my grandmother and your dad. I know. Wow. And it was that moment where I feel like the first things that I thought about was like, I had so much like, I was so upset with the fact that he didn't reach out enough or he didn't do all these Mm -hmm. things that I would want him to have done as a father. I wish I would have taken a step back and look at the bigger picture. And I regretted not reaching out more and being more proactive in that. Um, And for me, like, you know, that that came up for me in that moment when I found that out. I was like, Mm -hmm. I was literally when I I remember crying and I was just like, I was so upset about nothing. Like, none of that matters at this point. I think that, yeah, it's unfortunate when something like that happens in life. And I've had, um, you know, a friend who passed that definitely I was like, oh, I did. I did regret maybe not communicating enough with this person. At the same time, it was just like life happens. Right. Um, But. And I've had, I think, at different points, um, some like moral regrets, like whether how I how I approached relationships mm, that I kind of like look back and I'm like, oh, I feel like I could have done that better. Yeah. But that at the same time was kind of like all that I knew. Well, did you right? feel like you got that out, especially during that time where you were about to di- publicly disclose your STD situation mm. and you went back and talked to your exes and let yeah. them know? Did you was that kind of a part of a regret for you? That was a bit of a acceptance and forgiveness. Mm. And like, I think it's all intertwined, right? Mm. Because if you can't accept and forgive, you're going to get stuck in almost like a regret situation, Mm. right? And not take the lessons and move forward. But yeah, I think that 
um, talking to my exes and speaking out about it, it um, shifted the energy of what something originally was to me, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, how do you um, reframe something, a yeah. story, right? Yeah. Because like, just like energy shifts, we t- always talk about energy, right? I think that if we get stuck in a story about something and what something um how, how we believe something is in our lives, if we don't shift that, it will always remain that way. Yeah, for right? sure. Um, and he actually, and just as we wrap it up, like he suggests this three-part strategy for how you look at regret, which I just found really interesting. Inward, outward, and forward. First, it's like re- reframe, which is kind of like um, what I just mentioned, how we think about regrets. Look outward, practice disclosure. Oh my God, this is exactly kind of what I did. Um, sharing your emotions you know, is a form of processing and unburdening and moving forward. Like what's a lesson. Yeah. So like, um, really interesting stuff. Check out the book right now. Too bad he couldn't make it on our show, but <laughs> we, uh, got into it. It's called the power of regret. How looking backward moves us forward by Daniel H. Pink. Okay. Well, coming up next, uh, a man told his employer not to celebrate his birthday, but they did. Let me tell you, this company regrets that. We'll tell you why next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Kentucky man with an anxiety disorder asked his employer not to celebrate his birthday because he said it would trigger a panic attack. Fair enough. I mean, a lot of people don't like their birthdays. Everyone hates their birthdays, especially like, you know, the spotlight. Not everyone can handle it. Yeah. Not everyone can be me. (laughs) Well, this uh, employer, Gravity Diagnostics, ignored his request and did a celebration. They really wanted to celebrate his birthday. I'm very amazed. He must amazed, be a popular guy right? and just has some imposter syndrome about how popular well, he is. Well, guess what? He got upset. Days later, the company fired him, according to this lawsuit he filed against the company. And now a jury awarded him $450,000. Wait, they fired him? Like, they fired, he got upset? He got upset. The jury found that Burling suffered an adverse employment action because of his anxiety disability. So they basically were like... I, I get like, how dare you get mad at us? <laughs> this is not what well, I'm. This is not the place for you. Not the right you company culture for you. You know what? I feel like you just recently did this um, because our program director Brian had a birthday and did not want anyone to know. No, he and just you did. outed him uh, in our, on a text in our, in our group chain, and he could honestly sue you for that. <laughs> hey, take my mo- take the money that you're giving me. I'll give it back. Not a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying when people don't want to celebrate their birthday, I get it because I have a lot of anxiety with my birthday. Like, it's just it's a lot of things about like you know planning things and like having to even really do much for it. And you know, a lot of things could come up around that day. So yeah, when someone says, "I hear you," don't celebrate it. Do not celebrate it. So really, this is their fault. This is a sign in the future you could get sued. This Just is their saying. fault. This really. is their fault. <laughs> okay, well, uh, next up we've got What's Trending This Hour. Gay parents are speaking up about being verbally attacked on an Amtrak in front of their kids. That and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 